Welcome, Bird Gang, on today's show. Paul Calvisi joins me. Another frustrating loss we get to discuss. The Cardinals certainly put themselves in position to win on Sunday, yet down the stretch, just poor execution on both sides of the ball. The team is limping, literally and figuratively, into the bye week. It's Cardinals Cover 2, Episode 620, and it starts now. Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2. Hit in the backfield and down he goes for a loss. J.J. Watt nailed it. Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. And by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. He's at the 10, half a 5. He's in again. Some more Murray Magic. Wow. Here's Craig Grealoux. Once again, a lot of what ifs, what might have been, and instead we are looking at a four and eight record for the Arizona Cardinals as they go into the bye week. Paul, losers of two in a row, four of their last five, and maybe not any healthier coming out of the bye, depending on what happens over the next couple of weeks. But this team is banged up, but right now they are just searching for a way to get into the win column. Yeah, and it was a different sort of loss. Wasn't it? It was a it was a game where you really thought you were going to win. It was a game you were dominating in so many different ways. So, look, a loss is a loss is a loss, and it's most definitely a Monday. I'm not saying I have a case of the Mondays, but it's most definitely a Monday after a loss. But there are different sorts of losses. When that second half got away from you in Mexico City, okay. But when this was a game that was right in front of you to the very end, literally – and it was within your grasp, and you can look at the fact that, you know what, you have only yourself to blame. Now, look, you have a 49ers team the week before that is peaking and is playing real well, and they were able to dominate the line of scrimmage. At times, that was not the case against their Chargers. I haven't seen a running back get to the second level so easily with such frequency in a Cardinals game, either side, in a long time. So when you come out and you run for over 180 yards in a game, I don't care what else happens in the game. You feel like you should win that game. And when the Cardinals started 7-0, 10-2 last year, there were a handful of games. They ran for a buck 80 or more, and they won all those games. That win at the Rams, the win at the 49ers with Colt McCoy, the win at Cleveland, those all come to mind, just top of mind. And so when the game was trending that way early, and I'm thinking, okay, we've seen James Conner's prowess in the fourth quarter after he wears down a defense. If he's already doing this to the Chargers' front seven to start a game, then what is the second half going to be all about? So you're right. I mean, there are just so many different questions that result from a loss like that. And I don't think it's any one thing, but you know, we heard, we heard Kelvin Beecham at the end, and I think it resonated with both of us. You were on the postgame side on Cardinals Radio Network, and, and I was in the locker room. And, and to me, those are the words that resonate this morning in the immediate aftermath of this loss. 25-24, Cardinals lose to the Los Angeles Chargers, and we talked about it on Friday. Two desperate football teams because the Chargers looking to get into the win column again. They had lost two in a row and three of their last four and still very much alive in the AFC. Cardinals clinging to life in the NFC, and now you're three games back of that final playoff spot with five games left and four teams ahead of you. So it is very slim, but this team just needs to figure out a way to get away from the self-inflicted mistakes and just 
pure execution because that's what we heard. You mentioned Kelvin Beecham. I want to I want to play his post game comments here in a minute. But just when you look at the final 13 minutes, if you will, because the offense had three drives, did not get a first down, and the defense kept getting stop after stop after stop until that final scoring drive in which Justin Herbert marched the Chargers down the field, seven plays, 38 yards, and hooked up with Austin Eckler for the one-yard touchdown plus the two-point conversion. And it's just a play here or a play there. And we say it every single week, regardless of the opponent and regardless of what the team is on the field in the National Football League, Paul, it comes down to a handful of plays, and that was the case for the Cardinals on Sunday. And good teams win those close games. Just because you're close doesn't mean you're a potentially good team. That's what it comes down to most of the time in the NFL. You have to win those close games. And there can still be a gap, a huge gap, a divide between whether you're a winning team or losing team, despite how close it might be on the scoreboard. And... The teams that are above 500 find a way to win those games like the Chargers just, just did. And, and yeah, we can sit here and we can zoom out and we look at the last five games. But you know what? Until you win two games in a row, you're not a playoff team. Until you at least get back to 500, I don't think you can look at the playoff picture either. So you got to figure out what's wrong right here, right now. And, and look, on that very end of the game, let's look at those last two plays. The last two snaps for the L.A. Chargers – the Eckler touchdown with about 18 seconds, or it was 18 seconds on the clock to start, and then the two-point conversion uh, to Gerald Everett. And both times, watching the replay, now look, I might be getting over my skis here a little bit, little bit with the X's and O's, but Isaiah Simmons appeared to be late in coverage to both. And in both cases, it appeared, looking at the replay, that his eyes were in the backfield, were on the quarterback. And then first Eckler escapes out to the flat and beats him to the pylon. And then on the two-point conversion, Gerald Everett, the tight end, on a quick slant, wide open, two steps behind him. Isaiah Simmons, I can tell you, when the clocks hit zero, there was one guy left on the bench sort of staring at his feet, and that was Isaiah Simmons. No one appeared to take it harder than number nine. And whether that was because he was the one who was victimized at the very end, you know, look – it's been a constant theme with these first-round linebackers, Saban Collins or Isaiah Simmons, where they've been targeted at different times. It's a game of matchups. You saw it in Mexico City. Christian McCaffrey really hurt the Cardinals on the pass-catching game, more so, I think, than, than running the ball. And Eckler, that was a big challenge against the Chargers. Eckler's the only other running back maybe in the NFL, along with an Alvin Kamara, who has a definite case of fumbleitis right now. But, you know, these are the elite running backs who can catch the ball out of the backfield. And these, this has been a problem for the Arizona Cardinals defense. You can't always put a Buda Baker or Jalen Thompson on these guys. And that's, that's why you take linebackers in the first round, because they're able to run and cover. It's ostensibly why you got rid of Jordan Hicks because he was a liability in coverage. Otherwise, Jordan Hicks was you know, a fine middle linebacker, but too many teams went after him with these sort of routes and these sort of matchup advantages. And, yeah, advantage the L.A. Chargers because in crunch time, that's where they went with the football. On those two plays, Bertram Berry on Cardinal Talk with myself post game brought up and really harped on – specifically the two-point conversion because, as you mentioned, and what B-Train has consistently talked about when you are a linebacker, your eyes. Where are your eyes? Do you get fooled? And too many times Simmons has been fooled. Where are you supposed to be and where are you? And on that Eckler 
or excuse me, on the Everett play, it was Simmons breaking to his left following Everett, but it was going to be a quick slant inside because that's where the ball was going, and you knew it. According to Bertram Berry, there was no way Everett was going to continue to go break to Simmons' left because everyone had shifted that way. There were two other wide receivers in that mm. direction. So you knew where you just had to be stay put or step up because it was it was too easy of a two-point conversion, one of the easiest two-point conversions I've seen all season long because it was basically the quarterback looking and just throwing it basically on air with, like, no other defense around you. It's learning on the job. Some of these young guys learning on the job, and guess what? It can cost you games. And it's one of the reasons why Isaiah Simmons didn't get a lot of snaps his rookie year. It's a, why you saw last year Zayman Collins didn't get a lot of snaps his rookie year. The coaches are going to play those guys they can trust. It's why when fans say, why is Ben Neiman out there or Tanner Vallejo, you know, backup inside linebackers, fringe players in the NFL theoretically? Well, it's because they're sound in their assignments. And you can have all the athleticism in the world and you can have all the measurables, but if you're not in the right place at the right time, if there's a blown assignment or alignment, it's going to cost you the play, which can cost you a game. And that's that's what it boiled down to at the very end. Now, should it have been as close of a game? Should the Chargers have had all those possessions at the very end when, again, the Cardinals' final four possessions, a trio of three and outs, and then those two plays at the very end before the clock expired? The trio of three and outs, they had 16 total yards. Correct. So, uh, you know, look, there's there's plenty of blame to go around. There, there There's no question about it. But in any game that ends up being a one-point game, Yes, there are a handful of plays that will decide the game. And I'll give Kyler Murray credit because he stood in front of reporters post-game and took ownership of those final three drives. Quote, there is no excuse for our last three drives. There's no excuse. We got the players. There is no excuse not finishing that game on our terms, not having to put the defense out there. They did their job. End quote. 13-31 to go. Cardinals score to make it 24-17. And the next Three possessions for Kyler Murray in the offense. Three and out, three and out, three and out. A minute 45, a minute 22, and that last possession officially 31 seconds, but it was a 19-second possession because you add the Andy Lee punt to take it inside of two minutes. We did not see Andy Lee at all until the fourth quarter. Mm. And the fact that this offense could not gain at least a first down on any one of those drives or milk the clock with 219 to go is an indictment on that offense, yes, there were four backups on that offensive line, but you talked about it. James Conner was running the ball left and right up the middle to the second, third level easily. Yet for whatever reason, that was not happening in the fourth quarter, and that's a big question mark and something that needs to be diagnosed because if you can't correct it, then you just can't move forward. Yeah. Did the Cardinals lose the game of adjustments? Those first three drives by the Chargers, they were stymied. They weren't going anywhere, and Justin Herbert was 3 of 8 passing, then he ripped off 11 of his next 11. I think he was like 17. 18. 18 straight. <laughs> so they obviously made adjustments. Uh, the Cardinals, you know, countered to some degree, but when the second half started with that possession and it ends up in the missed 49-yard field goal by Matt Prater, that definitely was a deflating moment. You're thinking, ah, it's not that critical. Come on, it's still early, very early in the second half, but it just it's something that, that could have – really sort of paid off that initial possession and brought the building alive a little bit when you get three points. and you, So you miss that field goal. But 
there were plenty. There were plenty of uh, of issues to to go around. You know, Trey McBride, multiple drops. Trey McBride not able to make a block here and there. And in the absence of Zach Ertz, you know, the second round pick has to deliver. And here you are in week 12, and they obviously didn't get enough production out of Trey McBride, who factored in on two of those last three three and outs. He was targeted on a second and 11 with 10-15 to go. Dropped the ball. He was sandwiched by two linebackers. So then it becomes third and 11. James Conner runs nine yards. You're forced to punt the football. Then on the second three and out, 7:34 to go. The drive starts. Second and nine. Kyler Murray looks, or excuse me, third and five. Kyler Murray looks in the direction of Trey McBride. Another drop. Maybe some good coverage. The defensive back gets the hand on the football. But on third and five, you got to be able to hang on to the football. Unfortunately, he doesn't, and Andy Lee punts for the second time. So those were two incidences in which you're looking at a rookie tied in as opposed to either a DeAndre Hopkins, a Hollywood Brown, A.J. Green, Robbie Anderson, who actually has a catch now for positive yards this season, or even a James Conner out of the backfield. So the decision-making, the progressions that the quarterback is making on his reads, were they – the correct ones, especially there in the fourth quarter. I mean, think about it. You know, to, to play off what you just said there, this is all in sequence according to my little game log on, on the sideline. By the way, Justin Pugh walked by early in the first quarter, and I was having my little game log going. He goes, right down, really good run by James Conner, Paul. <laughs> I'm like, thank you. Appreciate that, Justin. So here you are, third and 13 at the 36 in the Zavin interception that wasn't. That was one of two critical overturns that did not go the Cardinals' way. Soon after that, you had the D-hop one-handed grab. Unbelievable catch. <laughs> I still don't know how right. he made that catch. And so he prevented what easily could have been an interception, although 43 for the Chargers looked like he was a little late to reacting. I'm not sure the DB makes that catch, even though it would have been right in the breadbasket. Then, to your point, the third down right after the D-hop one-hander was the Trey McBride drop. Okay, Cardinals punted away, right? Chargers, first next play, Antonio Hamilton with a dropped interception. Could have been huge. So, once again, so many could-haves, so many should-haves. Any one of those plays goes the Cardinals' way. Then maybe it, it's a different outcome. But that's what we mean when we say those little things are big things, big things decide games. And that's that's where the Cardinals have been lacking this year. And and any and I we'll go back to September. Great. Remember we talked about this. Good teams have different heroes at different times. Losing teams have different issues at different times. It's whack-a-mole. You can't identify one thing. It's different guys making different mistakes, taking their team, their turn to make their single error of the game, and that's ultimately what costs you. It's the combination, the amalgamation, if you will, of all these errors, and then boom, that's the hallmark of any losing team in any sport in a lot of ways. And so, unfortunately, that has been the brand of ball, the DNA of this Cardinals team this year, too often. It's why they've lost twice as many games as they've won. Cardinals lose 25-24 to the Chargers, their second straight defeat. They've dropped four of their last five. 
And, yeah, things do not look good here as they head into the bye week. But we kind of teased it, and I'll give, once again, props here on Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, to Calvin Beecham, who earlier in the week stood in front of his locker and addressed reporters. Obviously, the news coming out of Mexico City, not only do you lose, but you lose your offensive line coach and run game coordinator. So major shakeup within that offensive line room and then dealing with the different pieces that Beach has had to play with this season. He's the only healthy starter on that offensive line. And then he steps next to you post-game after the Cardinals lose. And I thought your question, your follow-up, was something that we need to hear once again here on this Monday as well. Paul Calvisi and Calvin Beecham after the Cardinals lost 25-24. Simply put, what hurts the most about a game it certainly appeared the Cardinals were tracking towards winning? I think in the most critical moments of the game, not executing um, and not putting ourselves in a position to close the game out. We had two opportunities uh, there in the fourth quarter, I think with four minutes to go, and then again before the two-minute warning, uh, well, we had a chance to close the game out offensively, and uh, I think that's what's most disheartening about this. Was there a common denominator? Was there anything they did per se, or was it more of what the Cardinals did not do? I think that they did a really good job of pressure on second downs, um, and I think as the game wore on, we started to get a beat on that. Um, and I think that second down and you know second down and nine that we had backed up that they blitzed us on um, and, and sacked us on. I mean, it really it really hurt us. Um, you know, they were able to stop the clock. We weren't able to get many yards and we put our defense uh, on the field and in a short position you know but at the end of the day it's, a, it's all about the turnover battle and we had two turnovers and uh, you're not supposed to win if you have two turnovers but even in spite of that as as you know stupid as we played today uh, we set out an opportunity to close the game out and we didn't do so stupid you, you didn't like the football iq not at all how so i mean there's an opportunity again to close the game out with you know two drives in the fourth quarter uh, and offenses that are of, of playoff caliber are able to do so, and we didn't do that today. Stupid as we played today. Paul, what did Beecham mean? And, I th- again, great follow-up on your point uh, on on that uh, response because I think that's a phrase that certainly raised my eyebrows and certainly made me sit up a little bit because – if there are two voices in that locker room that I will listen to more than anyone, it's Buda Baker. Yep. And we heard him post game in Mexico City. And then Kelvin Beecham, who doesn't say a lot, but when he does speak, you listen. He's at EF Hutton. And as I date myself on that reference, but Beecham talking about stupid football. Is it execution? What what is happening on offense specifically? And I think Beach was referring to those last three three and outs. And, uh, you know, he obviously didn't pinpoint it. He didn't get real specific, whether it could be certain play calls. And, you know, maybe he's referring to the fourth and one at your own 34 in the second quarter, where obviously it resulted in the interception when you went for DeAndre Hopkins, a pass that was short. Again, another deep throw that is off the mark, but – when you have Kyler in the gun on fourth and inches instead of under center, when you have a running back in that first half averaging about six yards a carry, uh, do you go down swinging with what got you there, with what got you down the field so often in that first half? Instead, you go for a lower percentage play against one of the best cover safeties in the NFL, Derwin James. So, okay, uh, that could be an example of what he's talking about. Uh, it could be just in terms of not maybe maximizing certain matchups 
and looking out there and saying, all right, you know what, we got a Hollywood Brown on a certain backup corner. Remember, the Chargers are about as banged up as the Cardinals. And I just thought they could have done a better job of exploiting, especially in the secondary, some of those backup cornerbacks. And and they didn't quite get as much production out of a Hollywood Brown as I thought, or maybe even go as often to a DeAndre Hopkins. You know, the eyeball test is he got his fair share of targets, as he should, but that could have easily been a game where DeAndre Hopkins had 15 targets. And so is that what he's talking about? Is he talking about perhaps, you know, certain uh, run schemes that – you know, in the first half, it was interesting because it looked a little different at times. You're like, wait a minute, is this a different run game with Steve Hyden? Because it's hard not to notice on the sideline, Sean Kugler has been such a fixture for so many years, and to see Steve Hyden with the offensive line, and then we're standing right next to Cliff Kingsbury as he calls plays and giving input on run. Okay, is there, and I asked two different offensive linemen after the game, they said no. There's, there's no time to put in a different run scheme. Now, whether some of the different plays utilized in the play sheet, but, yeah, I, you know, the, the football IQ thing falls under self-inflicted. So what he meant exactly by that, um, only he knows. But, uh, you know, to, there's no doubt in my mind that that was a message, whether it was to players in terms of their assignments and knowing and not making those mental errors and or to the coaching staff. If you see a trend, exploit it. Continue with it. it Keep hitting them over the head with it until they stop it. That's the NFL way, and sometimes I think the Cardinals get in their own way and, and don't and don't maximize perhaps some of those advantages that you saw out in that field. James Conner carried the ball 25 times. Should have been 28, 29, maybe up to 30 carries in that game just based off his success. And to your point about D-Hop and Hollywood Brown, first time on the field together. We're waiting until after Thanksgiving to see those two on the field. Brown targeted eight times. Hopkins targeted six times. Should both of those been in double digits? Now, you only had 29 pass attempts, so you were balanced on offense, but was the ball going to the right player in those runs and in those pass attempts? Yeah, and, and were there plays that Kyler Murray checked into or out of at the line of scrimmage that only the offensive linemen know? that perhaps, you know what, it came in as one play and they ended up running another. For example, the fourth and one that went to hop. Where was it originally designed to go? Uh, only only the Cardinals know that. And how many of those plays are being changed at the line of scrimmage? Or when they're radioed in, uh, okay, now wait a minute. Are there, you know, because once again, Kyler Murray has reminded us this season that he has, quote, free reign to do what he wants to do. So to what degree um, – are they losing something in translation from what's coming in from the sideline to what's being snapped and run or vice versa? So, But once again, there's nobody I'd rather talk to on the offensive side of the ball after a game than the guy who is Mr. Football IQ, and that's Kelvin Beecham. And so he gave us a little window into into some of what we'll see. We'll see here, especially during the bye week when you get into self-scouting. And, okay, what are the tendencies? What can we do? to try and put a stop to things that have plagued the offense the entirety of this season through 12 games. Because unless there's significant improvement, there will be change. There will be blood this offseason. Not necessarily with the head coach or the GM, especially considering the contract extensions, but the roster, absolutely. There will absolutely be change. And so at this point, I think you need to prove to the coaching staff and the decision makers that you're part of the solution and not part of the problem. By the way, did you catch what Beecham had to say to you at the end 
of that interview. Refresh my memory. You thanked him. Yep. Because I, I, you know, he was the only one that you got post game, and it's they're very difficult after a loss. But he said this anytime. Now I'm sure it was a throwaway line, but I heard that and I was like, okay, well maybe just make Kelvin Beach him a regular on the post game. <laughs> hey, I'd be all for that, <laughs> and, and I, a lot of respect because honestly, that locker room was about as downbeat as it's been all season. And I thought Cliff Kingsbury, who who then came in and always answers our questions, every single question, whether they're idiotic or not, and I definitely am responsible for my share of idiot face questions. There's no doubt about it. And Cliff Kingsbury answers them, and for that he gets much respect as well. But yeah, he, he was he was downbeat, he was dejected, as you, you know, not not a real surprise. Um, but the respect I have for the guys who will face the media after a loss and a tough loss, and 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 actually answer all the questions. I, I can't tell you how, how far that goes, you know, with all of us in the media. And it, and it should go with everyone. If you see Cardinals players in front of the cameras after a loss, to me, automatically, your regard for that player should double because it's not easy. And a lot of guys don't make themselves available. And so, um, once again, much respect to Kelvin Beecham. And he gave us straight answers. You know, he, he pretty much told it as much as he can without creating a firestorm. Of, of what he sees as plaguing this team right now. Questions that we still have looking back at Sunday's loss, the Chargers, the fumble that wasn't, and the interception that wasn't. You ask Cliff post game about it, and it's hard to get an explanation immediately in the midst of a game. But one, I thought it was an outstanding play by Trayvon Mullen to get the ball out of Palmer's hands. And I thought, at least initially, it was a Cardinals recovery. There was a television timeout, however. Did that allow either someone in the booth upstairs mm. or New York extra time to look at that play? Because when you did see the replay, it did look like there was both a Cardinals player and a Chargers player with hands on the football, and as Gene Steratore, CBS's rules analyst, said, quote, tie goes to the offense. What is this, baseball at first base? What's going on? I I honestly had never really heard that before. Uh, All all I know is there was a lot of dismay on the Cardinals' sideline. You know, are you serious? You could really tell from the replay exactly – I mean, it was a pile of humanity. And you always hear the the ball changes hands. Ron Wolfley talks about it all the time. The ball might change hands like half a dozen times in the midst of a (laughs) pile. So you saw it. I didn't. The TV angle. They actually had a clear shot. There was a camera angle that actually penetrated the mass of humanity and gave you a clear view and angle into the pile. It was slow motion, so I don't know what happened immediately. Like if that was like a split second and all of a sudden there's just a bum rush of players on top. But, yeah, you could see in that angle that they showed on CBS that there was. It was Mullen and it was, uh, what was it, Michael uh, Bondi that had – hands on the football but see sort of like okay if you can rule it a catch not a catch not only do you have to have your hands on the football you have to control it so whereas a chargers player might have had a hand on it did he ultimately have complete control of it and possession of it do you know did, did the replay last long enough to determine that that yeah you there's no way and then on the Zayvon collins was that truly indisputable video evidence that he didn't have his arms between the ball and the turf, that he didn't control the ball enough before and or it hit the turf. You know, I, once again, on the sideline, 
there was a lot of dismay, a lot of people scoffing that there was indisputable video evidence to overturn the call on the field, which is what you supposedly need. Yet once again, that was another overturn that didn't go the Cardinals' way. It did look on replay as if, one, you could definitely tell the ball was moving. The question is, where was Zavin's hands? Did he? Because the ball can move and the ball can touch the ground as long as you have possession of the football. And again, going back to CBS's Gene's territory, he noticed that there was clear and obvious that the ball moving as it hit the ground so that obviously nullifies possession and a clean catch by Zayvon Collins, who was adamant post-game that he had both hands under the football and it was a bad angle by TV because, not an optical illusion, but he, he was pretty adamant that he had control of the football. But to your point, what's the call on the field and then what do you need in order to reverse that call? Clear and obvious. In both instances, I don't know if it was clear and obvious. And when we're slowing down these plays, Paul, yep. in like split-second frames, at that point it's like, all right, what did your eyes tell you initially? Go to your initial reaction unless, again, you have obvious definitive proof. But we're slowing down these plays. And this goes across the board, all professional sports, and even in college sports as well. These officials have a hard job. They're right more than they're wrong, but now all of a sudden you're magnifying every little detail, and that I think is the frustration part for a lot of fans and athletes as well. Look, I'm all in favor of replay because I want to get it right, and you hate to see a team lose or lose a sequence based on an incorrect call, but you're right. When it's getting into hyper slow-mo and you're examining individual frames of the video, not only is it difficult to palate if you're at the stadium or you're at home, you know, let's go while we're young, uh, but yeah, I, I think it just becomes counterproductive to the essence of the game and making plays in real time, full speed, full contact football. So, you know, with that in mind, Okay, you got to live with it. Once again, uh, did the game ultimately come down to that? No, not necessarily. Did you lose a turnover battle? Negative two, yes. And your odds of winning a game when you lose a turnover battle? Negative two? Uh, guess what? I think it's like you only have a 15% chance of winning. I think if you win the turnover battle, two none against another team. I remember this stat from earlier in the year. Cliff Kingsbury said NFL history says you have an 85% chance of winning the game. So right there, the Cardinals are behind the eight ball. Uh, but that wasn't it. I, you know, that wasn't just it. I mean, you had a defense that although they had four sacks and they had eight tackles for loss, there were too many times where Justin Herbert was able to extend the play, too many times where he was able to use that elite arm talent and, and, and make plays on the run. And so... You know, there, there's a lot of different things you can look at if you're the Cardinals right now and, and say to yourself, well, you know what? Um, the adjustments, the game of adjustments went the Chargers' way. When you have when you have Justin Herbert who starts 3 of 8 but ends up 35 of 47 and you don't get a takeaway in the game uh, from a guy who'd gone five straight games throwing an interception, you know, that that's where I think you really – you missed a, a Byron Murphy, obviously. Antonio Hamilton left for part of the game. When the Cardinals had Marco Wilson and Trayvon Mullen, I can tell you, Vance Joseph looked a little concerned. I mean, he, he was he was pretty adamant on the sideline talking to those two guys, trying to get them coached up because all of a sudden their roles had changed. Yep. Antonio Hamilton was the one traveling with Keenan Allen. 
And now all of a sudden, okay, we had some trickle down here. And you could see the urgency in the look on Vance Joseph's face and his voice. And he was trying to coach those guys up immediately on the sideline. And so, uh, you know, you can only take so many blows to your game plan where all of a sudden, um, guess what? It, it becomes a serious liability. And I thought the Chargers did a good job. And Justin Herbert did a good job of spreading the ball around to some no-name receivers who made plays. And that leads us here on Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. This team going into the bye week, Paul. And, yeah, they need a mental break. They need a physical break. They and the Carolina Panthers, the only two teams with a bye in week 13. But you brought up Byron Murphy missing another game with a back issue. We saw DJ Humphreys go on IR with a back issue. Mm. And now Rondell Moore, Greg Dortch, and that trickle down. How many hits can this offensive line take to still hold up and do pretty well against the Chargers? Just the one sack, one quarterback hit. Obviously came at a bad time for the Cardinals. And in the secondary, that continues to get beat up as well. You can have all the starting depth you want, but those backups, and you brought it up before the season even began, Cardinals defense, you have 11 solid starters. But after that, what do you have? And that's where this team now is feeling real the, the, the real crunch when you lose four-fifths of your offensive line, when your wide receiver room is in and out, when you're losing your number one tight end, your number one cornerback. It's, it's very difficult to maintain the level of play when you're playing with so many backups. And you know what? For all that being the case, I was, I'll was i be honest with you, we're in the trust tree right here on Cover 2. I was worried yesterday that coming off a short week, Mexico City, all the injuries, the playoffs not being a realistic possibility, that you might get a team that caved in, that you might get a repeat of the last time the Cardinals had played the Chargers, which was 2018, Week 12, exact same point in the season. What happened in that game in that soccer stadium in L.A.? 45-10, the bottom fell out and the Cardinals got trounced. That was the Steve Wilkes year. I had a bad feeling that might be the case in Week 12 this year, but you knew right away. You knew from the get-go, and we talked about it pregame. You talked about it. I talked about it with Drew Stanton and Bertrand Berry. Guess what? First five minutes of the game, you'll know whether the Cardinals came to play or not. Were they matching the physicality? Were they dictated in the line of scrimmage? So for everything that wasn't in that game against the Chargers, Cardinals did come out with the effort and the energy and the intensity. It was there. And so that made you that, – that at least put a little wind in your sail to get things going because I was apprehensive as to what sort of effort was going to come out on that field. Now, what happens going forward? How do you come out of this bye? You're playing out the string. You got five games less. Yes, yes, everybody's playing for a job and or a contract. I get it. But there are certain trends that need to change. Like right now, you're looking at the final defensive stats. Four of your top five tacklers, defensive backs. Marco Wilson tied with Isaiah Simmons for most tackles in the game. That's five straight games where a DB has led the team in tackles. And, and, and two of those five, it's been a cornerback. And so Antonio Hamilton a couple games ago, Marco Wilson in this game along with Isaiah Simmons. That's not the way Vance Joseph draws it up. So, okay, can, can you get back once again to playing some more sound football the way the coaches envision it? Do they have the parts? Yeah, 
not only are you trying to figure out, okay, uh, who's part of the problem, who's part of the solution, but you're trying to figure out do which guys fit in this scheme and where. Isaiah Simmons this year started, and he remains in the safety room. His position coach is Marcus Robertson. You know, it's it's kind of reminding of Hassan Reddick a little bit. And so where is his best position in the NFL? Does that need to change? Do you need to to uh, adapt that? And and Zayvon Collins, who ends up with three tackles in the game. Now, I know they didn't come out and really emphasize the run game all that much. Austin Eckler didn't get 30 handoffs. What were Austin Eckler's final rushing numbers, by the way? Because it didn't seem like – like, they emphasized him at all. He only carried the ball five times for 20 yards. Justin Herbert was the Chargers' leading rusher with mm. 38 yards on the ground, but a lot of those were scrambles, the defense yeah. losing sight of him, and he had all kinds of open space to run, whether it was 13 yards, 10 yards, or whatever it was. But, yeah, these these five games, they're, you know, forget any playoff discussion, but these five games, important. Who's here next year? Who's not here next year? And, and look, uh, to me – yeah, okay. You know, thanks for asking. You want my you gotta figure out the line of scrimmage. You gotta figure all right. JJ Watt, outstanding season, had another sack. What's his future? He's in year two of a two year deal. Zach Allen, final year of his contract, his rookie contract. What's his situation? Byron Murphy. Vance Joseph, I think, opened at least I raised an eyebrow the last time he met the media and he said, you know, you gotta be concerned when you have a young guy in a back issue. What does that mean? Is the Byron Murphy back issue more serious than we might envision? Is that holding up a contract extension of some sort? What does it mean for DJ Humphreys uh, for him to go on IR at this point? Obviously, the injury hasn't responded enough that they've decided to put him on IR. But when you look at this division and you look at what the Niners have, what the Seahawks are building, how the Seahawks just fleeced the Denver Broncos and they got picks – and they got players. So, to me, I, I like the skill players the Cardinals have. I, I, I can see this team really investing in the line of scrimmage, in, in the trenches. And if you go back about a month ago, Vance Joseph to the media, and I always read between the lines on this sort of stuff, he sort of had a generic comment about how you build a football team. And it's from the inside out and whether you can dominate at the line of scrimmage or not and what it does for a team and everyone else around him. So, uh, that with that being the case, I, I would do anything and everything you can to try and assess where you stand on the O-line and D-line and what needs to improve going forward. Always starts up front, whether it's the offense or defense. And, yeah, there are several needs, but no bigger than, I think, on the offensive line and figuring out the defensive line, who's behind Zach Allen. We presume he's back under a new contract. J.J. Watt, his future, you mentioned it. But outside of that, Lucky foe to Rashard Lawrence, another player done yep. for the year, IR. So you're starting nose tackle. It's been gone most of the year. Who this team really likes and plays well when he's healthy, but it's availability that's been his biggest issue. Yeah. And then there's Kyler Murray. You got to make this your team. Uh, look, him getting out there, and he the burst looked good. The athleticism looked good. He didn't seem to be hampered at all by that hamstring injury, but. Uh, I would surmise to say he needs to continue to build his cred in the locker room as a 25-year-old. You know, get in there and, and, and make sure that you have everybody's respect because you can be a leader only if everyone's following. you got to be that guy. And, and then, you know, try, try and work with everyone on the offense 
try and make sure some of these issues that have popped up all year, you know, don't continue. You, you can't be your own worst enemy. And so we'll see. One plus one has to equal three, I guess. And, and have we seen that yet? And, and if not, why not? And during the bye week is a great time to try and diagnose some of that and implement changes down the stretch. And if at least you can get some immediate improvements, then you know you're on the right path. Otherwise, there might be a totally different path in the offseason. Let's leave everyone with this. Calvin Beecham on the state of the team to reporters in the locker room. Quote, without question, the light is still on. It's very, very dim. But we have our opportunity to come out of the bye, get healthy, find a way to put a couple of games together and try to close out the year the right way, end quote. And there's no momentum in the NFL. There isn't. Nope. But if you, once again, can get a couple of games where guys start to believe in each other and believe in the direction, then that can carry through into an off season, where guys might be a little more apt to be there in person and the guys might be a little more apt to recruit some of their friends and uh, you know I can go I can at least you know get a little traction to have players take a look okay they're going in the right direction I might want to be part of that and so we know free agency signings when in doubt if they're close guys are more apt to go to a winning team or teams that have prospect of winning because guess what it can make for better incentives it can make for more off-field opportunities and then you have hard knocks looming which is going to document every single moment theoretically of the rest of this season so what do you want to put your name and face on because hard knocks will be there and potentially anything could end up on the show episode four coming up on wednesday but yeah documenting everything that we see and maybe things that we don't see figuring out what this 2022 arizona cardinals team is all about and then moving forward into perhaps a very busy off season ahead and on that note, we will put a lid on this edition of Cardinals Covered 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. As always, special thanks to our executive producer, Jim Almohandro. For Paul Calvisi, I'm Craig Riolu. We'll talk to you next time here on Cardinals Covered 2.